it's not easy mode so much as it is equality mode. You know, it's you know, if 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 you need one box to stand on the and and I'm shorter than you, then I should need three boxes, and it puts us at the same place. It's not about I get three boxes and you only get one. It's about that I need to stand on three boxes where you stand on one because you're a taller person. But we both can now see over the fence to watch the game together. Like that's that's the idea of of easy mode. Is it's it's not to make things easier. And uh, it's unfortunate that easy is the term that whoever came up with, you know, hard mode and easy mode uh, really did a disservice to really video games and, and all of our people in general, because now there is this uh, faction of gamers who really tie their identity to beating a game on hard mode. And of course, the antithesis of hard is easy. So if you say, oh, well, you know, I beat the game on easy, they go, ah, I beat it on hard mode, so I'm a better human than you. And, you know, this is what they hang their personality on. And so it, it makes it almost impossible to have a conversation with them where you're going, well, that's great, but not everybody with a disability can beat it on that mode. Like, it's literally impossible due to their reaction time, their stamina, the amount of movement in their arm. You know, they just can't do it. This episode's guest on Disrupting Innovation is none other than Steve Spawn. He is the Senior Director of Development for the Able Gamers Charity. It is his mission to create a world where folks with disabilities have access to gaming environments, no matter the level of their disability. Uh, so he's trying to create gaming equity for all amongst the disability community. And he and Able Gamers view this as a hugely important task for fighting social isolation and uh, helping people to connect. I really wanted to introduce the world to Steve simply because uh, the work that he does is so important and so necessary and he's had a lot of time to think about how charities like Able Gamers can make a big difference to the lives of people living with disability everywhere in this world and, and really Able Gamers has completely uh, disrupted a space um, by creating a, a really simple and elegant solution to networks of folks with disabilities all over the country and all over the planet who were sort of sitting on their own, not interacting with one another um, and not having that loneliness or social isolation viewed as the medical emergency that it is. And Able Gamers came in and has started to connect the dots and make a real difference in the lives of, of thousands and thousands of people. Steve, as a, as a person living with a disability himself, has an intense amount of uh, wisdom to share on, you know, not only the mission of what he does every day, but also just the need to create more access in the world of disability to um, allow individuals uh, with disabilities to be included in every single level of society. And, um, you know, I, I think that what people will get out of this episode is just a renewed appreciation for how uh, the more access you give and the more inclusion you create, the greater it value, the greater it benefits society in general. So it's not just about creating inclusion for people with disabilities. It's about creating inclusion that benefits the entire entirety of society. 
uh, because every time you silence um, a, pop, a, a portion of the population, every single time that you work to silence a portion of the population by not being inclusive, all of society misses out. And Steve has just been such a champion. Um, the, the episode itself is full of incredible quotes. And, you know, I think that uh, one of the things that hit me um, like a bolt out of the blue from Steve was, was really to hear him um, put a very fine point on this idea that many times we don't really want disability to exist. We, we either want to cure it or we want to imagine that it doesn't exist at all. Um, as opposed to making every effort to just allow folks with disability to live in the same world as us. And um, I, I think being self-effacing about that, coming to terms with the fact that that is, you know, something that we need to work on as a society um, is just one more pathway to disruptive innovation. So I'm excited for everyone to hear this episode. This is Disrupting Innovation with Dr. David Petrino. So, Steve, welcome to uh, our podcast. It's called the Disrupting Innovation Podcast. And we're really focusing on this idea that to get an idea from bench to bedside in healthcare. So, like, yeah. the idea, get an idea from, like, conception of the idea to it's actually doing good for people in the healthcare system. On average, takes 17 years. We always want to point out that that's a dumb number. It's a number that shouldn't exist. It's a number that should be much smaller. Um, and so the point of the podcast is to talk to all sorts of different people about why is why does it take so long to do good work? Um, why does it take so long to change attitudes, change care paradigms, so on and so forth? So we talk to scientists, we talk to media people, we talk to people uh, with disabilities we, and we talk to people who uh, work for not-for-profit organizations and and industry and everything else and I'm at least four of those things so you're at least know. four of those things so <laughs> you know I'm working well, on I, that I disability guess... thing one of those days I'm gonna, I'm gonna get one of those <laughs> good we're off to a good start I like it um, uh, you know I, I like to in the first five minutes at least you know, insult at least two out of the three sick people who are listening to this whole thing. Um, uh, all two of those people, both of our moms. All right. Um, <laughs> the editor, make sure you keep that in. Anyway. Um, so I love what, to start by just go? telling, I want to know about you. I want to know, I want people to hear about, yeah. you know, who you are and what you do to start. Yes. Well, it was a rainy Thursday. It was cold. It was in the <laughs> afternoon or nighttime. I don't remember. Uh, uh well, my name's Steve Spawn. Uh, I am the Senior Director of Partnerships and Development at Able Gamers. Uh, but basically, I run around sort of uh, COOing, uh, doing uh, all the daily ops for a charity that helps people with disabilities be enabled by assistive technology. We have a peer counseling department that basically brings people who have disabilities into the virtual front door and listens to all the challenges that they may have to get to video games. And then we pair up the technology that would help them get from the barriers that they're facing to the goals that they want to reach. Amazing. And um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, along the way to achieving that goal, uh, there's a lot of... Um, 
you know, community building and social connection and yeah. uh, really wonderful things beyond uh, just getting to play video games, which is also a wonderful yeah. thing uh, for most people. Yeah, well, Able Gamers actually has multiple pillars. Uh, peer counseling just being the one that we talk about the most on podcasts like this. We have an engineering department. Uh, a lot of people don't want to hear about the uh, the everyday grinding, literally, that you do in the engineering department uh, to come up with these controllers and, and uh, to solder and sand your way to getting perfection in 3D modeling. Um, but the, the engineering team does a fantastic job. Our professional development does an amazing job of reaching out to game developers and uh, figure out how to bring the knowledge that we have of working in the disability world to explain the barriers that people with disabilities face to game developers. You know, something that we discovered very early on in Able Gamers was that there were definitely people who were jerks who just didn't want people with disabilities to play their games or didn't see the value in people with disabilities. But those people are far and few between, whereas the majority of people just don't understand. They don't have someone with a disability in their life they don't understand the differences and they don't understand the base similarities either um you know anybody who is not disabled themselves but has you know fallen in love with someone who is disabled or has a best friend or has a family member who is disabled you know you have a purview into the disability community that most able-bodied people do not whereas there's there's a lot of people who just don't even know that you shouldn't, you know, say the C word or don't even know what C word I'm talking about. And, and you know, the, there's a lot of those kind of non-safe areas um, that uh, our professional development team provides for developers and for people who are just looking to become practitioners in a course that Able Gamers teaches to certify that you do know what you're talking about when it comes to developing things for, with an accessibility mindset. So, um there's there's a lot of things that Able Gamers does. It's impossible to put it into an elevator pitch, unfortunately. Other than we do good stuff for the disability community, um, but you know, part of part of being a part of an organization that is so lofty uh, as Able Gamers is, is sort of realizing 17 and a half years ago now that uh, there were just such basic needs in the disability community that, that we really just needed champions uh, to be out there fighting for more accessibility. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely we've been paving the way for more and more of those people to get a foot into the mountain and start climbing. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I this point on accessibility is is so important and, and so overlooked. I mean, I, I wish that I, to your point of there's only a small subset of folks that are complete jerks, I think, that are just like, why do we need accessibility? You know, yeah. this works for me just fine. Um, and then, you know, there are folks that just don't have awareness. Um, but sometimes I, I just, uh, I wish people could see, um, you know, just the level of innovation and idea generation and if we're going to be gross and talk about money, even just dollar generation that actually working toward creating adaptive uh, experiences and um, and creating uh, with universal design involved actually creates, you know, um, uh, you know, just the idea that like uh, things things as simple as curb cuts which were created because of the ADA. And now if you're a mum in Brooklyn, 
pushing your your stroller or a dad pushing your stroller down the street you get pissed off if there's not a curb cut for you to you know push your baby down um uh rather than have to sort of bump and wake them up mm. uh, but that wouldn't exist without the disability community um and uh you know i i wish we could just get through people's skulls that accessibility makes things better for everybody you know like mm. it, it's not just oh, we're just doing this because of the disabled community. No, dum-dum. <laughs> this is making things better for everyone, you know, uh, across the board because, no. you know, uh, every every everybody my age watches Netflix with subtitles now. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> but if we didn't have the deaf community, we wouldn't have subtitles, uh, no. you know, but no. it, it creates an enhanced experience for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're not doing it for them, at least do it for you. Um, I, I wish we could just sort of get that across um, because sometimes that's the only way to uh, wake people up to to the needs. Well, you know, I, it's interesting that you mentioned the curve cut because the 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 actual act of doing that is called the curve cut effect. And um, to those of you listening um, that don't understand the, what David's talking about here, he's actually talking about a phenomenon in design that they literally have named the curve cut effect where uh, the ADA stated that you have to have a certain angle cut into the corner of cement sidewalks per so many city blocks. You you have to have a ramp on each corner uh, available within so many feet and that that's a state law that has gone, you know, now the EDA, it's nationwide. Um, and, and they call it the curb cut effect because what happened was that uh, people who are delivering food off of a FedEx truck decided that they also like going up the ramp. They, they don't have to jump it up over the curb. They found that, you know, hot dog vendors in New York City don't have to shove the cart up over the cart. They can use the ramp. Baby strollers can go for them, just like David was saying about, you know, the dad walking the stroller. These are all things that help the able-bodied community. Uh, that it was originally intended as a, an accessible feature for disabled people. The golden standard of design is to make things easier for everyone, not just people with disabilities. Um, it is the founding principle uh, for why there is a faction within the disability community that believes that the disability community itself is far less disabled than we think we are because it's more of the world was not designed to take those things into account because, well, you could just step up over it. Is it inconvenient? Yeah, but oh well, we'll just lug this, you know, giant 500 pound package parcel up over the curb and we'll break my back a little bit. But, you know, why would we cut a, you know, diagonal slope into it in order to make it easier for the guy delivering packages, right? Well, if you have people in wheelchair who are demanding that you do it, well, then the other guy gets something out of it too. And so, it, it really took a while. I didn't realize this was such an unknown fact that David just brought up until I was on a fairly popular podcast where I kept this getting one, right? people. The, this one the, right now, yes. Yeah. Um, that uh, in the future, yeah. Um, that uh, uh, basically kept tweeting at me going, oh, I just learned about the curb cut effect from Steve Spawn on, you know, uh, the Besties podcast. And it was amazing. Like, it, you know, you get one or two comments when you go on a podcast. That's pretty normal. But like, this was like one to two comments per day for a while. And still it's been nine months since I've been on the podcast and I still get at least one a week. And it's, it's because people don't realize that 
some of the things, like David mentioned the curb cut effect applied to. So curbs, uh, the closed captioning on televisions, eyeglasses. There's a lot of things that able-bodied people just take for granted as it makes life a little bit easier that was originally supposed to help people who are disabled and now helps everybody. So, you know, um, there's a an interesting side tale to that. I was um, early on in Able Gamer's history, uh, we were giving away uh, awards for game design. And uh, one of the games that we gave was Star Wars The Old Republic. It's a great game. It's an MMO online. If you've never played it, you get to be a lightsaber-wielding badass who runs around and saves the universe. You know, typical game. Uh, or day through David. Um, but um, you, you, you go through the universe and do your thing, right? And um, it, it's got really good features. It's got things like you can push one button to loot all the bodies around you instead of individually looting. It's got the ability to auto-run and to complete quests without having to click multiple buttons. You click one button. And it was just designed very well, and it made things easy back when uh, not a lot of MMOs were doing that. And we we reached out to the company. We had a panel at PAX East. This was back in 2016, I want to say. Um, and uh, we we brought on one of the lead designers. And uh, you know we we kind of ambushed them with with this award, being like, hey, you know, you won the award. We just wanted to give it to you. Say thank you for designing such an accessible game. And the guy absolutely pushed back against me, going, oh, we didn't design this for disabled people. We were just trying to make you know. The best design that we could to, to help out and make the make the game you know as enjoyable as possible and he pushed back on the wrong person because my immediate off the cuff was well yeah good game design is accessible game design so congratulations on designing an accessible game for disabled people and he was super mad because i just <laughs> outed his game as being good for disabled people which at the time uh designers didn't want that to be a thing because if your game was tagged as good for disabled people and it has some sort of invisible stigma of well then it's just not for everybody else it must only be for disabled people so people who were responsible for moving product which he was uh didn't want anything to do with it um and so uh we 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 did not get along after that panel uh he was not appreciative of uh of me calling him out like that in the middle of uh you know a thousand people um uh, but um you know that kind of golden design applies in so many different fields that people don't even realize that when you're designing for accessibility you're actually just designing something good for everyone yeah good good for everyone easy to use enjoyable to use pleasant to use i mean i i see you doing a lot of advocacy also for just games having an easy mode right um mm -hmm. because that's just one way that you can make something for everyone um much more easily Equality mode is is what I really like to talk about in easy mode. The thing, you know, easy mode is one of those things that even uh, I and able gamers don't agree with. Able, able gamers proper doesn't advocate for an easy mode. They advocate for learning the barriers and challenges and eliminating the barriers and having ways of getting around those challenges instead of just eliminating them entirely. Whereas I try to speak to the masses, and the masses understand the concept of easy mode. And, you know, it's. I wrote an article not long ago 
for uh, digital trends, you know, it's not easy mode so much as it is equality mode. You know, it's you know, if 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 you need one box to stand on the and and I'm shorter than you, then I should need three boxes, and it puts us at the same place. It's not about I get three boxes and you only get one. It's about that I need to stand on three boxes where you stand on one because you're a taller person. But we both can now see over the fence to watch the game together. Like that's that's the idea of of easy mode. Is it's it's not to make things easier, and uh, it's unfortunate that easy is the term that whoever came up with you know hard mode and easy mode uh, really did a disservice to really video games and and all of our people in general because now there is this. Uh, faction of gamers who really tie their identity to beating a game on hard mode. And of course, the antithesis of hard is easy. So if you say, oh, well, you know, I beat the game on easy, they go, ah, I beat it on hard mode, so I'm a better human than you. And, you know, this is what they hang their personality on. And so it, it makes it almost impossible to have a conversation with them where you're going, well, that's great, but not everybody with a disability can beat it on that mode. Like, it's literally impossible due to their reaction time, their stamina, the amount of movement in their arm. You know, they, they just can't do it. Uh, it's not a skill. It's not learning. You can sit there with a master instructor for 10 years, and because your body won't listen, I'm still never going to be able to tap dance. It doesn't matter if you get, you know, the, the world's greatest tap dancer, which I can't name drop because I don't know who it is, um, to come <laughs> and teach me. Um you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's Ryan Reynolds. I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, I, I can't, I can't get them to, to teach me how to tap dance. My legs don't work. They're not going to work. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I wish that, um, we could have an honest conversation about those kind of things and we could relate to one another that, you know, your glass ceiling is not the same as mine. And, and we need to be respectful of the fact that, you know, in order for us to both reach our full potentials, we may have different paths to go up the same mountain. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, these are perspectives that I think everyone just needs to get familiar with and comfortable with. And there's not enough good, open and, and transparent discourse about this, this out there. Um, everyone wants to turn it into a thing, right? You know, it's, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it can be exhausting sometimes. It is. It is. There's a lot of advocates who burned out over that. And, um, you know, I, I, I see it all the time and, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, it's, it's, it's called the crab pot problem. Um, it is, uh, it's something that, um, is, is known in, in the disability community particularly, but it's in all minority groups. It's, um, when you feel like the, the, the seats at the table are limited, then those of us who are in the community who have aspirations of having our voices heard begin to, uh, undercut and snap at one another. It's called the crab pot problem because uh, if you're a crab fisherman, you, they don't put a lid on the boat where the crabs are. They throw the crabs into a deep uh, hole and then they can't get out because every time a crab almost makes it out, another crab will reach forward to pull itself out. And instead of pulling itself out, pulls the other crab back in. So it's called the crab pot problem because it's it's what minorities do to each other a lot. And you'll see this when, for example, the easy mode thing, when you know one gamer who wants to make a name for themselves starts going, well, I don't need an easy mode because I'm amazing and I can do everything an able-bodied person does because their personality, their psychology is that they're, rather than dealing with their disability, they have decided to fight against it. And to them, 
becoming a quote whole person is to just deny that the disability exists and put themselves on the same level as everyone else and that that's the way that they have chosen uh, to deal with their disability and that is you know something that they have to deal with and their therapist has to deal with that's not something that you know i or anyone else can really help with um but it hurts it hurts the rest of the community because then there's people who say well you know that's great i'm glad you can do it buddy uh but my disability is different no two disabilities even in the same category you know those of you who are doctors know this you can diagnose two patients with the same thing doesn't mean they have the same abilities because we're all in different trajectories prognosis diagnosis um and you know in that situation it's unfortunate because you have these these advocates who uh, are out in it for themselves and and that's kind of their their stick is to just be like i'm as good as any able-bodied person and you know and i congratulate people for having that kind of confidence and that that is good especially in a world that loves to knock your self-confidence down if you're disabled um but it, it it can be a harmful narrative to the overall cause so there's just some things about advocacy that are kind of rough you know there's infighting and spotlight you know grabbing and you know it's it's not an easy job it's also a thankless job and i'm sure you would have no idea about that whatsoever um <laughs> you know when when you advocate for stuff you you're often you know uh ignored and in best case scenario in the worst case scenario people yell at you for doing your job and the better you do your job the more you get yelled at so advocacy is one of those jobs nobody i've said this a million times nobody at six years old wakes up and goes mommy i want to be an advocate like no nobody says that there's not one kid in the world who's done that and you know and and uh you know you just kind of fall into it because you realize that that there's something in the world that's hurting that's wrong and you want to help heal it and uh you're willing to take on that fight yourself so you end up being an advocate and and, and you do what you can until eventually the the world uh burns you out Absolutely. And well said. Um, well said, especially in six-year-old Steve voice. Uh, let's do the rest of the podcast in that voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I don't have, you, you don't pay no, me no, for that. This is too much of a commitment. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up the crab pot problem because I think that... Um, like I said, we, you know, on this podcast, we talk to all sorts of people and we're like, what, what is the biggest you know, like what's stopping the progress. Mm. Um, and often I feel like in the not-for-profit sector, the crab pot problem is what's stopping the progress. Like there is so yeah. much more that groups could do if they were yeah. banding yeah. together yeah. Um, and just saying, you know what, let's not be resource scarce um, monsters that are, you know, <laughs> very worried about what's next. And so therefore, you know, it's a zero sum game. If, if Steve gets this celebrity to do his thing that means we can't get him and and therefore we need to beat steve to the punch like yep. is is it you know from the outside looking in that seems to be a big rate limiting factor for a lot of not-for-profits that they're not working together um you know yeah it's 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 unfortunate in that um there are some bad actors out there um, in the disability community, and I've seen it in other communities. I, I'm currently seeing it, uh, you know, in the in the debate in the trans community about the one of the popular games that's coming out now, um, where you know, people on one side of the trans community are saying it's fine to play it, on the other side they're saying it's not, and there's this internal war of who's right and who's wrong, and you know, a lot of it can be uh, assuaged if the secular world 
would just get together and give more people a voice at the table. And then then people who are in the disability community, the trans community, the gay community, you know, would all the minorities, well, you know, any minority that I could name right now should have as many voices at the table as the, you know, uh, the average human, right? Um, we, we have a lot of, my, my one friend always called it the stale, pale, and male communities, uh, you know, where a lot of the good old boys like to keep minorities out, whether that's, you know, because of race, color, gender, you know, uh, sexual orientation. It's, um, it's it, you know, uh, I see it all the time in the disability community where, you know, it's not that people don't necessarily like each other. Sure, there's the normal, you know, so-and-so is jealous because, you know, you happen to land this cool thing. And, man, I, I wish I had landed that cool thing and they don't quite emotionally know how to deal with that. And that's hard. You know, that, I mean, that, that's some personal growth that that person has to go through. But more often than not, I, I really blame the system. And, you know, we need people um, who, who can change the system. And, you know, um, I think there's some stages of that. I think that uh, people like you and me, David, I, I think that um, we are the system now. We, we are part of the system and, and we change the system by changing it from within. And there are people younger than us that don't have that power yet and they're vying for that power. And I hope that when they get to our levels that they also will become part of the system and help infect change. And that's, that's sort of the goal. That's why I go on podcasts like this and hoping to reach at least a few people that hear this and they get inspired and they go, you know, I'm going to fight the ladder and I'm going to climb high enough that I can at least move the wheel a little bit before my time is done to make change. Uh, I saw it on a TV show not long ago, and and it was you know, typical typical Hollywood, you know, uh, badass comes in from out of town, and takes over the lead job at a hospital, and starts doing all these changes that no one ever would imagine saying yes to, and he's just like, sure, we'll do it, do that too, let's do it, and you know, his uh, explanation for why he's saying yes to everything is, let's just try things. We are the system now. Everyone blames the system, so let's be the system and let's change. And and I, I really have thought, what a great lesson in that. And so um, I've been trying to adopt that myself and saying, you know, yes, I, I am the system now. And that is why some people don't like me is I am the system, you know, and, and that's fine. I'm going to accept that role and I'm going to try to change what I can from within. And sometimes that's going to get me in trouble and, and I'm just going to have to be okay with that because, you know, if I'm not going to change the system, then I can't expect anyone else to either. My trouble. Steve, the system's spawn. I'm, I'm here for it. Um, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. And, um, you know, and, and I think that, uh, you know, to, to that point, I mean, one of the things that happens in academia all the time, you know, to the point of how broken the system is and how skewed it is against giving people voices, you know, we have this, um, uh, you know, in academia, it, it's starting to... Um, uh, gain a lot of momentum that you don't want to have a panel that's all you know white men sitting on yep. the panel. They call it a manal. Yes. Um, you probably yep. it, well, it, it's not just yep. academia. You know, this happens at other like trade shows yep. and things like that. But um, you know, one of the things that I was uh, that I'm always really conscious of is um, uh, you know the way that academia is set up is um, you go to a conference, right? And if you get asked to speak at a conference. If you're lucky, they'll say, you know what, we'll reimburse you for all of your costs, right? But still, they reimburse you after the fact. So you got to buy your ticket, you got to yeah. 
book your hotel room. You got to, you know, do all the things associated. You need to get childcare if you're a parent. You need to, you know, um, and then because academia is academia, they'll take you about ninety days to reimburse you for your conference costs. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to a conference, it's like you got to be able, you got to be in a position to be out like three grand yep. for two or three months until someone reimburses you. Yeah. And what we know from to be, just be a fact of of you know social science is that the further you deviate from being a white, you know, cisgender male, the the more likely you are to not be able to afford to front that two or three thousand dollars up front. Yeah. Yeah. And so you ask people to be a part of your panel who are people of color, who are women, and they're more likely to say no to you than a white man. And they're less likely to tell you the actual reason. <laughs> and so, uh, because no one wants to admit, well, I can't really front this money to, to show up to this thing. It would be much better if we could all admit that to one another and be like, you know what? I'm saying no, because I don't want to wait 90 days for my tight ass institution to reimburse me. For <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I, I can't obviously speak to not being a, a white male. That's for a better guess to speak about than me but i will say the one thing i i can't comment on there is um I, I i've seen a movement in really the world recently um i've seen particularly in in twitch streaming um, which is something i do on the side of the gamers and, and and in our industry in general is advocacy is people are starting to talk up about rates people are starting to say you know i got paid this amount to do this and i got this in order to do this and it used to be a, a big secret and it was like you know unless unless you were in a union you never talked about how much money you got because for some reason in america particularly we made it taboo to talk about how much money you're getting as if it's like you two things you don't talk about at the dinner table is religion and how much money you make like that's you know but we, we're starting to learn now that that was a thing that was instilled upon us from capitalism. That was the people at the top training us not to talk about how much money they had to give you to get to work. Because if you told, you know, if I'm earning a thousand dollars an hour and you're only earning $50 an hour and I tell you that we're doing the same job, Hey buddy, I'm earning a thousand. And you're like, well, what the heck? I'm earning 50. You're going to go to them and be like, uh, pay up or else I'm yeah. out. And then they're out money. And so they don't want us to talk to each other. They don't want us to compare notes. And so that, you know, I hope that, you know, I hope that it happens in academia. I hope that it continues to be a thing. I, I, I hope that as people get talks, you know, I, I hope that it's something that happens. And my friend, um, Alana Pierce, um, she's pretty famous in the video game world. Um, she's um, an okay Australian um, who's, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, to, who um, uh, does a lot of cool things for the world. She's my co-host for the Accessibility Awards. Um, and uh, one of the things that, that she did um, was she basically has foregoed having her own salary for, say, a hosting gig or for, you know, some kind of um, event and told the, the production staff, like, no, give this to the, the minority, you know, that you hired to do, you know, the hosting gig or give this to another creator because she is the, 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 the person who seems to get a lot of gigs and she's trying to help share that spotlight and help share you know the burden you know if the production company's not going to pay then she'll step up and she'll do it and i don't think it's right 
I don't think that she should have to forego her salary for doing a job. But at the same time, you know, I do think that there is um, a certain rallying cry to that. A certain if if we would all just those of us who are lucky and who do have the spotlight would once in a while forego the paycheck, even if we don't have to, to say, hey, you should do this. And then we talk about it. Then it makes it easier for other people to do the same thing. Absolutely. Just podcast full of Australians doing incredible things. I mean, yeah. <laughs> thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, you know, uh, you know, really sticking to the rider where you had to mention at least one good Australian. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it's, my, it's my podcast rule is every time you have to talk about one Australian. That's just, it's just the rule. I never make the rules. I just follow them. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate it. So, <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think that, you know, this is uh, this is so important. Uh, I mean, I think we need to all find different ways to be subversive of these rules that marginalize voices, that um, make accessibility and make uh, diversity uh, and inclusion uh, and access less likely. Um, and and really, often it 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 really is all about sort of trying to take a moment and look around your environment and see what's messed up, you know, whether it be something as simple as taking that moment to be like, hey, someone needs to like, there's a lot of financial support necessary to go and speak at this conference. And maybe that's why X number of people are saying no to me, politely declining my invitation. And rather than throwing my hands up in the air and saying, well, I tried to get a woman on this panel or a person of color um, and they just didn't want to do it. Um, yeah. actually examining the reasons why. And, and I mean, cost is one reason. And then, you know, obviously there's a million other reasons why people might say no, but if we're not being very self-effacing about like why we're not, you know, really delving deep into these things and, and getting after it, we're not going to see change. Um, no, we're not. And, you know, um, you know, because it's, it's only our moms listening. Um, the the um the, the the dark truth of it is that nobody likes to talk about is that there is uh i don't want to throw shade at the hard-working event coordinators out there who are actually trying but the majority of event coordinators are under extreme pressure from the top of wherever they're under to make these events happen at the cheapest price point mm -hmm. possible. And unfortunately, one of the things that we're learning, uh, so again, through sharing information with each other, is that if you are a minority, the value of just giving you a voice is considered an offset of cost. It is literally where it is, or at least at one time was, so rare for a disabled person, a black person, a gay person, even probably back far enough a woman to be invited to a thing that they went, well, nobody else lets you on these panels. So let's face it, do we really need to pay you? No, we're being nice enough to let you on the panel. So do we really need yeah. to pay you to be there? Yeah. Do it Ex for the exposure. Exposure, yeah. yes, yes. My oh. mortgage company still does not accept exposure. It's very weird. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So it, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but um, uh, again, a systemic problem, a problem that I hope gets changed from within as more people like us and, and our listeners get into seats of power where they can they can change things. You know, when um, when we did the accessibility awards, you know, all the disabled people that we brought on were paid either in uh, funding and, and monetary donation or uh, um, to whatever they wanted to if they weren't allowed to you know according to ssi standards take money um you know gift cards uh, a donation to a charity a piece of equipment that they needed whatever it was that we had to do to give them some kind of compensation for doing work and if more places would do that you know uh, you and i work with logitech and that's one of the things logitech is really good about is you know it, they recognized early on uh, mostly thanks to you and me telling them uh, that not everybody can take cash. And, you know, that's because, uh, you know, our insurance system is set up to be like, oh, you got $20. I guess you don't need this uh, insulin yeah. now. Like, that's yeah. not how that works. But yeah, sure. Right. Um, so, you know, we, you have to want to be mindful of stuff like that. But just because you're in that, that, that paradox, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be compensated. So um, I, I like to think that, uh, and again, another way that, that, that we can change, and I mean all of us listening to this podcast, the way that we can change is when you have an opportunity to insist that someone who is, you know, of a minority and is a, sitting at a, a seat at the table, don't let the company just be like, yeah, your payment is that I'm listening to you. No, that's not payment. Payment is cash. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Help me pay my rent for this month. That's payment. Absolutely. And, and I think that, um, one of the most skewed pieces of advice that that people are given um, when they're you know trying to learn how to be more successful in their life is that they should get themselves a mentor, and we almost exclusively tell people that your mentor should be, you know, some wise person at the top of the mountain yeah. who tells you what to do. Well, you know, the wisest person I know, which is of course my wife Rose, who you've met, yep. Yep. Uh, she's like, no, get get yourself a mentor that's younger than you. Get get a get a mentor that's older than you, but also get a mentor that's younger than you, because you can you can start to see both. You if you accept mentorship from both sides of the spectrum, that's when you start to see the disconnects. That's when you start yep. to see the holes where you can say, oh my god, this is so, like this is what you're going through. <laughs> Hey, for <laughs> you, you know, older mentor. Yeah. Look at all the stuff you're breaking um, yeah. for the next generation, and mm -hmm. I, I think it's a, just a really, you know, um, the whole. As you mentioned earlier, the whole system is set up to maintain the status quo, mm -hmm. even right down to the point of like, how do you learn to be successful? Ask someone older than you, and it's yep. like. Well, sometimes yeah. it's just like remi being reminded of uh, the struggles that you already went through. Like you, you brought up about, you know, having to front the cost to go be a speaker at an academic event. Like, you know, there's been several times that um, I've done events um, where it was thousands of dollars out of pocket. And they're like, you know, yeah, we have a net 90. And for those of you who aren't in those kind of worlds, means that they have 90 days to pay you whatever you paid out. And some people can't float $10,000 for 90 days. You know, some of us don't have that ability because we're disabled and the government won't let us hold that much money at one time, or you don't have credit cards or, you know, whatever it is, you just don't have the ability to maneuver those kind of numbers around. And, uh, you know, I've had to fight a couple of times where 
you know, I had nurses that needed to be paid, you know, their, their fee for being a nurse. And the companies were like, oh, yeah, we'll get to them. It's like, but they live paycheck to paycheck. Like, you, you can't. You know, I understand you think nurses make billions of dollars. Guess what? They don't. So, you know, pay them so that they can pay their water bill. You know, they're not out there like, man, I need my cocaine money. They're like, I'd like to pay the rent this month. So, you know, like that's, you know, it, and that's one of the things that I think you, you kind of have people who have forgotten because now they're at the top and they're like, ah, I've got 20 million in the bank. Who cares? I could flow yeah. to 10,000. Who cares? It's like, well, not everybody does. When I was a when I was a postdoc at NYU, we, we won't discuss how long ago that was, but um, <laughs> but there were pterodactyls in the sky at the time. There was, so. there was yes, um, the the chickens were lizards, and it was a whole scene. But um, you know, basically, I was earning next to nothing because that's what postdocs yeah. earn, and um, and you know, every day was paycheck to paycheck. Every day was like you know okay, I paid rent. Now I'm going to live on, on two minute noodles for the rest of the month. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I remember giving a lecture, uh, basically one of the high level professors, uh, at the institution wasn't able to give a lecture. And, um, and so I, I subbed in for him. So it was like a very prestigious lecture that I was giving and I was a very low level employee. And, um, and then at the end of it, they paid me like this, uh $1,200 honorarium for giving the lecture hmm. and the professor handed it to me and he said yeah take your girlfriend out for a nice dinner and I was like dude $1, <laughs> $1, I'm gonna like live off this for three months are you kidding me take one dinner like yeah, right is this how divorced from reality you are but it, it yep. was it, you know he, he was like here's yeah. some play money $1,200 and I was yep. like I no, this is real. You have no idea. Yeah. Like, um, and the sad thing is, most people who have that, except for the silver spoon nepo babies, you know, um, you know, they they may be born into it. But for most of us, you know, at one time we worked through that, and and it's it's you know it's true what the psychologists say is you will forget more in this lifetime than you'll ever learn because the brain doesn't let you hold everything that you learn unless you're a very certain personality that can hold that kind of information. Most of us, you know, we we can't remember what we. Have for lunch three weeks ago and it's because it's not important information same thing with like if you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from you you may easily forget to be appreciative of the fact that you know uh you know i know that i can order a pizza any day of the week now that's the place in life i'm at right now is i always have pizza money and you know i try to remember that in my life that there was a time where i didn't have milk money let alone for a pizza you know and uh you know, it's it's a privilege and not to take it for granted. Totally agree. And and yeah, I mean, I I, um, I sort of ruminate on that as well. You know, this uh, like and, and <laughs> weirdly also around food, where I'm like, do I really need? It's to be dinner time when we're recording this. David and I are both very hungry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. Um, but yeah, I'm like, do I need do I need to be buying my lunch every day at the you know like at the hospital yeah. because I remember. Being, being a postdoc and being a graduate yeah. student and being like, not that that's just not an option. This seven dollars yeah. a day, what a frivolous expense to spend on food. You know, like again, the two minute noodles. Bring 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 a yeah. pack of that from home, and that's got you covered. Um, and you you've got to remember that because you've got to be able to sort of understand where people are coming from. There's no mm -hmm. shame in not being in that stage anymore. 
Um, but also I think you need to, um, well, I mean, if you're not taking that moment to reflect on the fact that um, you should be helping people yes. not have to go through that um, mm -hmm. or because that's not a great place to be, you, you know, no. everyone should be able to go on buy their lunch like that, that, you know, that, that should be something that you should be able to do. Um, not like, random act of kindness. I mean, not, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, or, or yeah. a lucky break. Um, Absolutely. I mean, so the, uh, the other, the other day. Um, so for those of you who, who know who I am, um, know that I can be both a very kind, but uh, an aggressively defending person when I have to be, when I find something's going wrong. And I so love watching Steve the, blow people up. On yeah. Twitter. It happens every now and again. Someone, tr someone trips the anger side of me, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's always it's always in defense mode. I, I don't believe in attacking, but I will defend fiercely. And and that happened to me not too long ago when um, uh, someone who I know um, was publicly talking about how they were almost in tears because they were at the supermarket and the person in front of them was uh, paying with credit card and they asked for uh, cash back and they took the cash back and they handed it to the um, the, the teller at the register and said, here, the, the person behind me, I'm paying for the, their groceries. And um, this put my friend in tears because she barely could make rent that month. And that basically enabled her to, to pay rent. And she was so grateful. And it was, it was an amazing act of kindness. And it was super rare in this world. Um, and yeah. basically it was just like, you know, here, here's the grocery money, give any of the change left over to her, you know, Take, have a nice day and just walked away. Didn't stop and ask for a picture or to post it on Instagram or, you know, wasn't going for clout, just doing yeah. a nice thing. And, um, you know, and, and the person who this happened to is the one that's telling the story. And someone says, you know, well, that's pretty arrogant of them to assume that you couldn't pay for your groceries. Uh, I honestly feel like they should have just stayed in their own lane and minded their business. And I was, and, and I'm witnessing this, and I'm just like, I have to ask you something really personal. And they were like, what? And I'm like, how many digits are in your bank account? And they were like, that's personal. I'm like, I'm not asking for how much money is in your bank account. I'm saying how many digits? Four, five, six, seven, how many digits? Six. What does it have to do with you? I'm like, because you don't remember what it's like to not be able to pay for groceries. That is exactly what is happening here, is you don't remember a time where you had to wonder if you can afford to pay your rent or put it on a credit card so that you can buy milk. You don't remember what that's like. So it's an affront to you that someone would be nice to someone and pay for their bill. And so that is that is something that, you know, for me, I, I've, I've always kept in mind is, you know, you have to remember where you are, right? And, and and where um, where you're at in life, and and, and I I really had to kind of check that person, and 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 you know I was a bit aggressive in jumping into that, but it was so maddening to me that you know this person who had the kindness happen to them could have kept it under their sleeve, could have never mentioned it. You know, not having enough money to pay for groceries can be embarrassing in our society because we look down on people like that for some reason. Because God forbid you fall in rough times. Um, you know, and, and it was like an affront and, and I don't think that we should live in that world. I, you know, like Keanu Reeves said, I don't want to live in the world where kindness is considered weakness. Uh, absolutely. And <clears throat> I mean, we see this level of fragility all the time. It's like, 
I, I think one of the, um, uh, the I, I, I wish I could understand the psyche of folks who see someone express a need or see someone express a shortcoming of society and the reaction it's it's an aggressive reaction you know it is like no you your lived experience is false because my lived experience right. is different and 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 it comes out it's so primal you know like there's yeah. this sort of like defense of so you know like this 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 terrible denial of someone's lived experience mm -hmm. um i don't know what what they're taking from a story like that and and being like this is i don't know this is breaking up who I am as a yeah. person or what my worldview should be. But it really does feel that way. It's a threat response where they're like, no, that can't be right. Or, well, that yeah, person was an asshole because they right. assumed something about you. And it, you know, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's, it's you know, what, whatever it was, you know, that person decided to be kind, but yeah, it was, it was 100% up where they were just like, you know, you should be mad because they assumed you couldn't pay your bill. Like it's, it's like, well, you don't know what tell or whether they were in tears or, you know, their demeanor was just down and they were trying to do something nice. You don't know why the person did that. And it, you know, it's, you have to assume so many things to assume that someone is doing something for nefarious nature. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine going through Starbucks and saying, Hey, I'm going to pay for the car behind me and handing it over. And then having someone be like, I can't believe you just did yeah. that. Like, what? Why? 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 How no. dare you, Steve? Yeah. How dare you assume uh, my socioeconomic it, status because it's you know? Yeah. And it's it's not you know. And, and um, uh, well, there's crab pot uh, problem, right? So someone's problem. always someone's yeah. gonna have an issue with yeah. uh, with what's going on. There's maybe it's. There's actually a, 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 a saying uh, that came out of the black community um, of "tell your truth." And and I really love that so much. I, and the 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 wisdom in that is so strong. And on the surface, it seems like a very you know just like when the kids know they'll be like, oh, that's true and real, which is you know just okay, they mean the same thing. Whatever, kid. But like you know, th this is in, in this case, you know, what came out of that statement of your truth is that you're telling the story that as you see it from your perspective it's your truth is it the absolute truth well maybe not depending on the situation maybe there's somebody else who sees it a different way and for them it's their truth but your truth is that this is what happened and this is how the situation is and so for you know her truth her truth was that it was an amazingly kind and generous act of kindness you know mm -hmm. that um you know this random person would do and 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 random acts of kindness are okay maybe there's some people out there who don't like and random acts of kindness um i was uh waxing as i do sometimes uh you know <laughs> inspirationally i guess um talking about one of the big uh things for me was um when i learned that there are just some people in this world that kind of circles back to your original question of why does innovation take so long? There are just some people in this world who will not like you because you are selfless. If you do things that are positive and kind for the world, they automatically do not like you because it reminds them of how small-minded they are. And so you are the enemy rather than them change, rather than them having introspection or any kind of self-reflection they blame you because if you weren't kind, 
then it wouldn't make them look bad. So it's your fault that they look bad because you're, you could choose not to be kind and you're not. And so it took me until my forties to realize that not everybody wants to be the best version of themselves. Not everybody wants to create good things and innovations and technology for the world. Some people don't like those kind of people. And, and, and it was a real shock to my system to learn that and, and I understand that it's a bit Pollyanna for those of you who are as old as I am. Like, I get it. It's rose-colored glasses thinking, oh, everybody gets along. Um, and, and I guess it was. But I just never really thought until my 40s are really experienced that people could just not like kindness. Some people get super insecure with, with these sorts of things. And uh, we, we're both kind of mission-oriented folks you know, I speaking for myself, it's like, I, I mean, I don't care how much money I have in my life. You know, I, no. I certainly would love to be fortunate enough to have everything I need to be comfortable. No. Like this idea of being a billionaire or no. being, you know, or a hundred millionaire or a million, like these things don't make sense to me. These aren't goals. Like no. the goal is, you know, what did I do for this community and what did I do in this field of research and what did I do for these folks over here because I'm mission oriented. Uh, and I've, I've also experienced a very similar situation to you where, you know, I'll meet these folks, even within my institution, who, who, who will just like bring a cage down on that. They're like, no, you can't do that because I don't see how I'm going to benefit from, you know, concretely benefit from this good deed that you're doing. And, uh, you know, it, it's taken me, um, uh, you know, almost the better part of a decade to get to a place where my boss is actually mission oriented, you know, mm -hmm. and, and for the longest time I had, I had bosses that, you know, they could be nice, but they were also like, well, this is the institution and this is how you do it. And you climb the ladder and you, you know, mm -hmm. and you follow the rules. And now I've got a boss who's like, you want to do this crazy thing? Go, do it, do it faster, do it through, do it through. <laughs> and I'm like, what about, you know, the people above, don't worry about them. You, you do the thing, you know? And I found myself in a situation that I've never been in before where I'm like, are, are you sure you want me to, this is pretty, <laughs> this is crazy for me, you know? And he's like, go, go faster, you know, yep. um, which, which is amazing. But yeah, in my career, I've, I've had these conversations where, you know, people are like, what's the catch? Yeah. Like, where, where's the, where, where, where are you making the money? And I'm like, no money. <laughs> There's no money. We're just here yeah. to help. We're yeah. here to help. And, yeah. and what's interesting is, uh, you know, and what I keep trying to teach people who come from that mindset is actually every time you do something for no good reason, other than it needs to be done, other than, there's a community that needs it. So like, let's go and do it. Every time without fail in my entire career that I've gone and done that, I've just addressed the hole, addressed the gap. It turns into something that someone can make profitable or disruptive or, you know, exciting, or it'll get a lot of eyeballs. And so the institution looks good or, you know, whatever, you know, thing that you want to turn into value in the value system that you live in, doing the thing to actually authentically help another human being actually provides value, you know, but, but they miss all of those opportunities because they're like, the only way to make value is to charge people a lot of money for this, 
service and and make sure that you get paid a lot of money for the service and um it, you know uh i i also cannot understand this mindset it, it it makes zero sense to me it doesn't make sense but it doesn't work as well on institutions but one of my favorite counters that i say to individuals now who either challenge uh, my positive or kind demeanor as you know it's yeah you know, it's impossible nobody's you know trying to be that nice or, or kind or you know why do you do this it's it, you know how, how can you not have an angle for yourself and i go oh no no you know if i could put my hand up to in their face to stop them talking i would like no listen being charitable is the most selfish thing you can do in this world what you heard me being charitable is the most selfish thing you can do in this world because by being charitable and doing good for the world, I get a euphoric feeling that you cannot pay money to get. There is nothing like doing something selflessly for someone else. So sometimes to be selfish, you gotta be selfless. And that paradoxical statement just blows the mind of most people who don't understand kindness at all because suddenly they start going, wait, is there actually intrinsic value in doing things for others? And you go, yeah, now you're getting it. Good, good. And so you, you, you plant that little seed and you hope that it grows over the coming days and weeks and years. You know, and, and, and make people realize that, you know, you, if you do stuff for others, you know, maybe the karmatic, you know, you put good into the universe and they'll come back to you isn't true. I don't know. I don't know whether karma exists or not. I like to think it does, but... You know, even if it doesn't, um, I, I do believe that charitable acts are the most selfish thing in the good way that you can possibly do. Amen. Well, I, I've got, I, I think, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You've given me too much already. And uh, if we spend too much time in the week together, the world implodes, obviously. So, <laughs> But if I, if I could ask, you know, like yeah. right now for Able Gamers, like what is yeah. your biggest, like what, what's your biggest bottleneck what is the thing we've got to solve for uh to get able gamers out i mean everything you do is so amazing and everything you do you know i've it's seen pretty awesome it's true yeah oh you met the company yeah right yeah well you know everyone everyone involved is is okay. awesome and and i've seen firsthand you know like just yeah. the power of providing uh people with disabilities who are newly injured um yeah. you know i see it on the acute side um, yeah. newly injured with this outlet that reminds them that their world may their world may have changed with a new disability, but there's all of these new worlds that they can explore. It doesn't need to stop at one world, mainstream world. And uh, I've seen how it builds community. I've seen how it's yeah. changed lives firsthand. So I want to get it out there. I want everyone to know that you guys are out there doing good works. Appreciate what, that. How are we? How can we? solve problems what are, what are the biggest bottlenecks for you you know um don't say money uh money um <laughs> you know the thing of it is is for my charity the true answer is money but it's a little different than from a lot of the charities and i have quite a few friends who are executive directors or charity runners um, and and i listen to their struggles and what they think and you know and every charity will tell you with more money they can do more good in the world right that's that's kind of a, a yeah of course you can um but right now 
we still live in a world where disability is viewed as lesser. If you are disabled, you are automatically discounted as a lesser human. You are not of equal stature to others. Um, no matter how smart, how witty, how funny, how charming, how sexy, it doesn't matter if you're stop disabled. Yourself and stop yeah, making this yeah. bad. Just keep <laughs> it's all about me. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if, no matter how much you look like Hugh Jackman, uh, as I do. Um, uh, <laughs> round Hugh Jackman, that's what they call me. Um, so, um, it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> put that right. on my business card. Um, uh, it's uh, you know, it, you're you're automatically discounted, and and uh, and unfortunately, the same goes um for a lot of the stigmas of video gaming, and and although both of them are slowly going away as more people play games, and and people who are gamers are getting older and in the seats of power, and that helps move the paradigm. Um. You know, it, it's still those two things can coming together congruently of being disabled and fighting for disability rights in the video game space. It's it's hard because people can connect with the charity that helps cure sick children of cancer, and, and because it's a great and worthwhile endeavor, and we should fight to cure all the kids of all the cancers no child should have to go through that and and no one in my situation is going to be like yeah whatever kid good luck you know like no one's going to do that you know and it's a matter of saying you know yes there, there are charities that do that kind of thing and they are important but they are incredibly well funded whereas a charity like the one i work for has to continue fighting to prove <laughs> that we're worthy of someone's dollar and so you know, I don't think there's anything that any one of us can do in particular. It's a matter of, you know, speaking to your friends about how, you know, being disabled goes beyond, do you have enough money to pay for medication? Of course, I get DMs all the time that says like, hey, I love what you do, but don't you think that it would be wiser to like help people with disabilities get jobs? And I'm like, but there are state programs that do that. There are other people that do that. There are very few people that do what we do at Able Gamers to help people enjoy their lives, to connect with other people. You know, um, one of the things that, you know, Able Gamers does really well um, that I really can only describe by doing an anecdote is, is you know, um, I went into a pediatric facility um, that was a full-time 24-7 care facility for special uh, needs, um, as they call it, um, although I hate that terminology, uh, the special needs pediatric floor, where basically you were on a ventilator um, and you had assisted breathing or you weren't able to go more than a few hours without care. Um, on this intensive care unit, um, I was on there to help one kid with a make-a-wish and make sure that they were able to play games. And... Uh, when, when we went in there, um, I had nothing for his brother, who also lived in the same facility, who was dealing with the same condition and, and, and you know, slightly differently, as we just talked about earlier, like all conditions not being exactly the same, still had challenges, but I wasn't there to help him. And I had nothing for them because I didn't have that in the budget. And so uh, I rearranged the budget and we went back and we helped the brother be able to play games. And... Uh, you know, one in a wheelchair on a ventilator, unable to speak. The other in a wheelchair could speak, um, but was unable to communicate with his brother who couldn't speak because they couldn't really see eye to eye. So they would sit in a room together, not really communicating and watching Wheel of Fortune. And I was like, that's not interacting in a meaningful way. 
and that, that that's gonna be hard. We put them into a racing game together, and the you know put them in, give them their controllers. They both finally fire up, and I, I start the game, and you know we 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 start the race, and they both start coming around the curve and the track in the very first thirty seconds of the game. The older brother rams his older brother's car off the road, and it explodes. That is <laughs> that is just if that is not human nature. The first interaction between two siblings, one destroyed the other one's car. Like yeah. that is that is the connection piece that you're missing. And people don't appreciate that for what it is. They see it as, oh, you're playing video games. No, it was the first time that the older brother got to lovingly bully his younger brother as brothers do to each other. And you know that that the the kid dusted it off and rammed into the older brother's car, and they had a good time messing around with each other and completely ignoring the point of the racing game. And that that is what you know, able gamers does is give those connection points back. And it doesn't feel like a high level thing to me, but I hope that over the coming years and decades, we begin to learn that the most heartbreaking part of disability is when it takes you out of the ability to connect with others on the way that you wish you could and that video games are able to replicate some of those scenarios wow so well said and and yeah i mean uh i i i you you we buried the lead till the end but you really i mean i'm very good at that <laughs> yeah well, I mean, the, it, it's such the a hard the podcast, or else you're not going to get the point of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's such a hard it, it's a hard thing to talk about, but it is the fact that you know, um, society kind of has two modes with disability, which is either let's find a cure or let's pretend you don't exist. Yeah, and so this the idea of a not-for-profit that wants to just be like hey what <laughs> like let's do some leisure things like you deserve you you should be allowed to engage with a community and um and we should just be about connection and leisure and fun and engagement and things that don't are not circulating around daily survival or uh, well you know I think daily survival ties into everything that you're doing, but doesn't necessarily directly circle around keeping you alive day to day or curing your illness. Um, yeah, I wish more people could explain, uh, could understand a how crucial that is, and b how so many folks with disability um, don't love their disability. But just wish that the world was curated in a way that you, you know. I, and I'm, and I'm, I know that the disability pride conversation, as everything that we've spoken about, comes down to an individual. You know, speaking of your truth, but, mm -hmm. um, but also I, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of folks with disability who are just like, you know, there's, I don't need a cure. I just need, the, you know. I, I just need to be able to interact with the world um, right. the way that everyone else can. And I think for me, um, my one of my final thoughts on on that for this podcast is um, we we don't value mental health in a way that I think any of us should. 
Um, uh, one of the things I think the reason why Able Gamers struggles to get funding from government sources and whatnot is because mental health is still not completely understood or accepted by our society. You're starting to see it. It's definitely creeping in more than it was a decade ago, but there's still some holdouts who think that it's all rubbish. But yet, uh, the people who think it's rubbish will also be the first ones to mention the Harvard studies that have shown that men are disproportionately likely to die of heart problems brought on by depression because we are less likely to have friends to lean on than women of the similar age group and race because uh, for whatever reason, men are taught to hide our feelings and to not talk about uh, disability and, and depression and things that make us sad. Um, so they'll be the first ones to point that fact out. But then when you talk about mental health, they'll be like, eh, it's not important. But it is important. And so if I can connect someone, you know, to a family member, a loved one, a potential romantic interest, or just a platonic best friend, you know, and that helps defeat that depression, that helps destroy that social isolation, then we've done our job. We've helped extend their life a little bit and made their existence on this planet where they enjoy it a little bit more. I can't find any fault in any of that. Nope, neither can I. Well, Steve, thank you so much. You've, you've spent way too much time with me and I appreciate no it. This is such an important conversation. So uh, thanks for coming and yep. we'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. Bye, everybody.